This is part two of two of our conversation with Marco. You're not going to intimidate me. I'm entitled to my opinion. Do you passionate about? What do you want? Um, a galactic conference. That's your opinion and you're entitled. All right, so you took a long way around to go back to Serbia and you're touching down in your home country with this interesting um, diversion into the ancient wisdoms of, of a culture. And now you're at the forefront of what could be a brand new culture. So what happens? Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was really incredible. It's, um, you know, I discovered that the joy is in, in us humans is not determined by where we are. In, in There's no such a thing as, as absolute, but in relative position as to where we were the day before and the year before, right? So when the things are getting better, we're happy. And the poor person who is getting a little bit richer is super happy. And the billionaire who just became a millionaire is super bummed out, even though he's still a millionaire, right? It's the change over time that impacts how we feel about this. And here I was in this country that was like in a rock bottom. It's just, it just, so everything sucked for 10 years. Like economy was terrible, inflation was terrible, employment was terrible, there was civil war, people were dying. So all of a sudden, we have democracy. The previous president is, you know, we topple him down, and economy is coming back in. We're moving from this weird mix of communism and something, something else into capitalism. And there's this growth. There's just like everybody's happy, even though not. People don't have much. And, you know, it was amazing. I got to, you know, produce my um, my movie by paying an editor, like video editor, like $250, maybe $300 a month for like a top-notch editor, right? Wow. Because that was a great amount of money. Um, so I got to produce my movie for very low budget, so to say, with top people. And it was amazing to be there for the like first five years when it just felt like the sky is the limit, you know, which is in sharp contrast. There's a kind of a anecdote joke about the USSR during the Cold War towards the end of it, when USSR was really not doing well and people were just feeling really bad, you know, were, things were not going well. Um, when, and the anecdote is that, you know, when two people would meet each other on the street and you say, hey, how are you doing? Better than tomorrow. <laughs> That's, That's one of the most nihilistic things I've ever heard. Imagine living in that reality. Yeah. You know, and and then what a human spirit to celebrate today because it ain't going to be any better anytime soon. You know, mm-hmm. so you just celebrate today because tomorrow is going to suck. But yeah, terrible. And this is exactly opposite. Like, I'm back to Serbia and how are you doing? Better than yesterday. Yeah. And tomorrow is going to be better than today. Yeah. And that felt amazing. I was really happy to be there and to contribute um, to that growth and to contribute my knowledge and my experience, um, you know, in that early period of development. In which way do you felt like you could contribute? Well, in a few different ways. Um, you know, I, I started uh, one of the first gaming startups there, technology IT startups, inspired by this like Silicon Valley model that was completely like, foreign to anything that existed there before in terms of like a structure of what a company is. Um, and, you know, over the last 15 years, people who worked in that in that company over the last, you know, it was nine years, um, you know, they opened their own companies, they spread that culture. It was really completely novel, um, you know, to exist like that. Um, I also, I had a kind of a child dream for a long time. My, my grandfather is an um, engineer, I come from a long line of engineers, and my grandfather is one of the founders of College of Engineering, of Mechanical Engineering in Belgrade, mm. uh, just after World War II. And I always thought that that was such a like a amazing thing, this new college. Wow! So you know, at one point in time, I realized that the knowledge that I had was so far into the future. I'm coming from San Francisco. You know, we're talking about artificial intelligence, uh, e-commerce, websites, stuff like that, which was futuristic for more, most places in the world. And even more so for you know war ravaged country, and that the knowledge that I had is 
actually something that I, I need to pass on. Not, you know, there's not, there's no employment for me there at all because nobody needs that knowledge. It's like, you know, when you come from the future, there's no need for your knowledge. It's useless. It might be needed in the future, right? So um, I actually opened the very first department for computer arts and design in the region, in the Balkans, at the Academy of Art there. Um, then nobody, there, there was no school teaching digital arts at all um, in any of the Balkan countries until 2003, 2004, when we opened this department. And I got to be a department head. And for nine years, it was nine generations of students who went through that and learned how to use tools like Photoshop and 3D maps, you know, Unity and stuff like that to build these digital virtual experiences um, that, you know, today are a big part of our economy. Wow. So what year was this? This was early 2000s? Early 2000s, yeah. So were you in uh in europe at the time that 9 11 happened were you in india when it happened um i was literally when 9 11 happened i was about to leave for india i was packed all luggages like, i'm getting the fuck out of here <laughs> it, it, it really like i really it was like three days before leaving seven something like that you know and i just remembered as al said i just i was like this is gonna be big and I'm so out of here and I'm so not going to deal with this reality right now that it was just like, boom, you know, and it was like five days later I left. And did um, you make the decision to leave before 9-11 happened or after? It sounds like you've been planning for a while. Oh, like for right. a year. Before. Okay. Yeah. So it was just a coincidence a that you were leaving right, right yeah, around yeah. the time I mean, 9-11 happened. Yeah, a year happened. before we were, you know, working on the film on the where are we going to go and who are we going to talk to and getting the camera you know it's like it's a preparation 11 happened you're like later uh, losers good luck with that shit or like a uh, week before we left you know that's insane it's good they think you could still make the flight uh. <laughs> but then you know we got there and i'm like okay we're going to gomuk and it's like oh that's where like kashmir and there is now like oh. maoist rebellions and china and india it was like we were there and they're like, okay, so there's bombing happening five miles away on the other side of those peaks and Maoist rebels might, uh, you know, try to kidnap you as American citizens. And it was just kind of like, is this for real? Like how much, how much of that was reality? Like how much of that, like fear of being caught in some sort of conflict, a reality when you actually traveled in India and being around that? I mean, I think that there is no one reality. The reality is what each one of us thinks in our minds, right? So what I mean by that is for somebody who maybe never experienced such a thing, that might be profoundly anxiety-inducing. Um, for well, did you come across people that were like, there was like, did you come across a conflict? Um, no, not like a watching two military things, you know, but yeah. I came across many travelers who were freaked out. You know, like, ah, oh, this is my one year. I came out to do a gap year and this is happening and somebody's going to kill me and stuff like that. And then, you know, you have people who come from like these zones that are continuous conflict, like, you know, Israel or Middle East or uh, anybody in the Balkans. And they're just kind of like, I don't know, man, it's on the other side of the hill. You know, it's like, right. it's been happening for the last 500 years back home. And the long as it's on the other side of the hill, we're sit here and drink coffee and chit chat. So it was, it was more of like a abstract idea that that it was going to affect your actual travels when you when you went there. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, that was my experience when I traveled to Mexico. I did a solo trip, and th there these problems get blown out of proportion. The so when I left from here in Florida, I had people telling me, "Don't go to Mexico." You're going to get your head chopped off. You're going to be held hostage. Yeah. Like the cartel is going to get you all these things. And then I got to Mexico and they're like, oh, Mexico is fine. Just don't go to this one state. This one state <laughs> is really dangerous. And then you go to that one state and they say, oh, this state's pretty much okay. Just don't go to that one city. And then you get in the proximity of that city and they're like, uh, there's this one particular area of the city you don't want to go to. And that's when, to me, I got the analogy that it's like say, saying, don't go to America. There's parts of Detroit that are really, really dangerous. It, or or and, don't go to America because you might get shot from the mass shootings. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of mass shootings there. So in Serbia, you started up a whole college of digital science and entrepreneurship. And that must have made enough of a mark um, that you were able to be offered a professorship here at the University of Florida, right? Yeah. I mean, 
it was interesting, you know, as I was leaving the United States and, and as, I, as I experienced that civil war, um, there was this one moment where I felt very mortal. And I don't even know how to explain that. Like, I literally felt mortal for the first time in my life. You know, I was not this superhuman. At and, what age? Uh, maybe 28, 27, yeah. you know? Um, and at that moment, I was like, okay, what does that mean, mortal? So I literally went to the doctor, and I was like, all right, I want all the tests. And he's like, anything in particular bothering you? I'm like, no, I'm just feeling mortal. <laughs> just an existential crisis. What can you do for me, doc? And that means what? I was like, can you just do the full checkup? Yeah. You know, like do everything, blood, this, so I, I, whatever it's needed, right? And he was like, okay, fine. So he did it, and he was like, all right, you know, you're doing good. So once I learned that I'm doing okay, um, I had this urge, I don't know, it was like a biological urge to kind of like download myself, to click save, you know, like you were mm. writing a book for so long, and after 28 years, I want to click save a document, you know, mm. just in case this mortality happens, I don't want to fall to, like, what, really? It's all gone? What an interesting analogy. What do you, what do you mean by that? Like, well, how do you click save on life? You no, know, so that's what I, that was my next question to myself. <laughs> and I came up. The, the you know, story is that there are two parts to it. There is, um, there is a what's part, what's biologically part of me, and one way of clicking save actually is procreating. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, once I have children, I can disappear, but they go on, right? So now, in some ways, that download happened on a biological level, on a DNA level, having offspring. And then on the mind level, it was like, okay, so I have had this opportunity that I have become very aware, very mindful, and very grateful for that I met some incredible minds in my life who mentored me, who taught me, who were my professors, who were my friends, and thanks to whom I feel like I really matured. And I would have, I felt kind of an obligation in some way to not lose all of their gifts you know they were part of me right and that was the part that started a new you know college department for you know where i was like oh all these things that i learned hopefully now i can at least the intellectual skill part download to the next generation so in the same period of time my my son was born in 2003 and my daughter in 2006 um, so from 2003 to 2013, in the same period of time, I was in the process of active downloading where I had two children and I started my own college degree and I was the department head there. And at the same time, I ran my own company, my own startup and kind of uh, doing it in, in a completely different way, the Silicon Valley way of startups rather than what communist country, you know, company looked like before that. Um, so, you know, that was literally, I felt like, okay, and I'm, now I can die. Um, <laughs> and I remember saying that to my mother and she kind of flipped out and she's like, <laughs> she's like you, you're not dying, you're children. You know, I was like, well, no, that's not what I meant, mom. It's okay. Right. I just mean that I feel, I, you know, it's like on a video game, like when you have like that moment when like, okay, if I pass this level and then I die, I don't get restarted from the beginning i get restarted you, know, you hit get, a checkpoint uh, and you have such a yeah. such a computer Safe. science interpretation <laughs> yeah so that was a checkpoint and then i was like all right now i can ride motorcycles and be crazy again a little bit <laughs> and during the so in in the wake of that at some point there was a connection between you and an american university so um right now i'm a professor at the university of florida and in, in, in the wake of that, in 2013, I was um, I was actually going to a game developers conference in San Francisco, uh, GDC, and I decided to. My wife is was American and she was from Florida, and I decided to stop by and see her family. You know, spend a few days in Florida on my way to California. And um, during that time here, I met a guy who turned out was the director of Digital Worlds Institute. We talked, we had, he invited me over, we had a connection. Um, and that connection first was initiated in, in, in a form of, hey, would you teach online one credit course? Just kind of tell people about what does it look like to work in the startup industry because I was running my own company. And then 
within a few months moved into like, well, I think they had a situation where somebody left abruptly and they needed cover. And they were like, hey, we're really SOL and we need help. Would you come and be a visiting professor for one year? I was like, what do you mean? They're like, we have this person leave. We need a substitute. So it's like a substitute teacher in many ways. Um, but we need a year to hire another person because this is like a 10-year track, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you are already a professor and you're already associate professor in Europe. And it will be really easy for us to move you into this uh, position if you'll be interested in doing it. So after analyzing kind of my reality at the time where I was and where I was uh, with my family and my you know, company and stuff like that, I decided that that will be um, a good adventure to, you know, go on. I came here and then after six months, they told me that um, they posted a job position for the full-time position and that they would really like me to apply. That um, I was working out for them. So to and one thing led them to another. And here I am in the University of Florida 10 years later. And I just this summer, I was tenured and promoted to a full professor. That's nice. Awesome. Congratulations. And so you work with the Digital Worlds Institute at the University of Florida? That is correct. And what is that? So Digital Worlds Institute is a research institute that is created uh, by College of the Fine Arts and Computer Sciences. We have a degree in digital arts and sciences. Uh, our students study things like 2D animation, 3D animation, virtual reality um, development, video game design, entrepreneurship, blockchain, AI. So variety of digital and emerging digital technologies and you know how to use them and apply them to whatever forms um, we use right now, be it you know animated movies or video games or um, VR stuff and things like that. So we educate uh, experts in the fields of digital arts. And it's a bachelor's classes. We have, we have a bachelor's and a master's. Master's is kind of a, a focused on virtual reality quite a bit. Uh, while undergraduate is quite wide and it allows mm. for different tracks. Some people go for more animation. Some people do more like a emerging uh, technology and entrepreneurship, uh, depending on which electives they opt for. And what experiments and practices in that space are you really excited about right now? Well, a um, number of different ones. I do a lot of work in blockchain technology. And I do a lot of work in virtual reality. Um, in virtual reality, one of the projects that um, I've been working on for the last five years in collaboration with College of Medicine is we are introducing meditation in virtual reality for the hospital patients in the intensive care unit. Um, so, you know, we know research has proven that meditation is has a positive impact on humans. Um, specifically on certain things that we were looking at, which is stress reduction and perception of pain and quality of sleep, um, which are very important for ICU patients. Um, but it's very hard. How do you kind of meditate? You know, in ICU unit, the lights are on. There's like beeping of the machines all around you, uh, nurses coming in and out and stuff like that. So what virtual reality does, you put something over your eyes and you're no longer seeing where you are and you put noise canceling headphones and you don't hear where, you know. So we can actually transport someone in their mind to a different location. So they're no longer in a hospital. They are on the beach and they see waves and they hear waves and this, you know, hear seagulls coming or flying around and stuff like that. And there we take them on a journey of a guided meditation and therapy. And then when the therapy is, finished, we return their mind, their consciousness back into this physical reality from the virtual reality um, and let them be. So that's something that we are doing right now. Um, in our most recent version, we are um, introducing also EEG device as an input device for our meditation. So you put like an EEG device around your head. Uh, we use a device called Crown. Another one that we used uh, before is called Muse. And we measure the activity of nine different brain waves, alpha, beta, gamma, delta, stuff like that. And we know that when alpha goes up means you're calmer and, you know, stuff like that. So there's like this, I call it secret juice, but it's, it's just secret to me because I'm not an expert, right? And if you're doing well, the world in virtual reality changes in a positive way. So you might see flowers growing. Oh, so you use EEG inputs to modify the virtual 
reality experience? Is yeah, that so is the EEG proven device. to be accurate, actually reflective of the mood that people are in? You said you're uh -huh. not, you don't know that because it's secret to you. I, I've. Oh no, no, it's absolutely what I'm saying by secret. It's absolutely proven. We can measure the brain waves, right? It's just that I'm a digital creator. I don't know if alpha going up or down is good or bad, right? So I have gotcha. my collaborators from College of Medicine and Psychology, and they give us this data, these tables. For me, they're just a bunch of... I'd be interested, yeah, I totally hear what you're saying. I'd be interested to read more and learn more about the EEGs. I had the impression that it was kind of like a mood ring, and like if your mood ring turns green, then I don't think you know, so. it means, it means oh, something. It's quite, it's a quite, uh, quite further ahead. As yeah. a matter of fact, we have some like EEG devices now. You can fly drones with your thoughts. Like literally, you can fly a drone. And you, oh, you can fly it based you can fly a drone accurately. by using the EEG device as an input device. Like you can train the EEG device to know when you are thinking forward, backwards. Wow, that's left. pretty crazy. There was a mindfulness institute, I think, at the University of Florida. I can't remember what the name of it was. Um, but there, it, it was, I think a subset of a sports medicine thing and you could go to this office and they had a I think it was like a beta wave tester and you could train yourself to get into like a enhanced beta wave output um mindset and so you're saying you have a virtual reality space that that has this eeg brainwave inputs and then positively reinforces um certain brain waves with visual stimuli so it, like if yes. you if you achieve a certain brainwave threshold, then you get like fruits appearing or nice colors appearing, and so you're getting a thumbs up. Yes, so it's kind of gamifying it, and you know yeah. for the first time in thousands of years, we can see inside the mind of a meditator, because you know before that we all sit and we close our eyes and somebody is like, oh, focus on your breathing, and we all sit, and I'm like, yes, and did I turn off my stove, and oh, then I, I need to go to the bank tomorrow, and I sit for half an hour thinking through my daily stress topics. And then I get up and I'm like, okay, I just meditated for half an hour. Well, here I get as a meditator, a direct representation of like, hey, whatever you're doing right now, you're doing good. You're alpha way, you know, and then I'm like, yeah, no, no, oh, did I forget it? And he goes, Burr! and the, you know, butterflies maybe go away or the, you know, the, there's a storm in the background telling me like, hey, hey, come back, come back. You know, reminding us of that in the midst of meditation. Yeah, I just Googled that, and it looks like the the study that I found where you can control drones with your EEG waves, they were correlated to facial expressions that you'd make. And so if you raised your eyebrows, it produced a certain brainwave, and that brainwave translates to like moving the drone right. And then they, they had two other facial expressions that you could make. So they were they were really calibrating the EEG waves to an expression that you made on your on your face because apparently you you create a certain brainwave with the facial expression, but it wasn't, it wasn't like, I'm going to make it go right. And you make it go right. It was, I smile. Oh, but that's, that's absolutely possible. Like actually there's a training software where you see, uh, like when you, for some of these EEG devices, uh, the software is like, you literally, there's a cube that you're looking at a 3d space and it says, move it forward. And you're just literally thinking forward, 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 and it goes forward. And Really, it's we have not. that technology. Yeah, yeah. I've seen I've seen 100%. things where, where people, I mean, dude, you're blowing uh, my mind. Paraplegics can move a mouse on a screen. Yeah, with brainwave inputs. Yeah, five years ago, uh, I think it's like an Epoch Twelve or something like that was a device that I had. That one had like a that one did not was not convenient for us to use because it had too many of those little spots that you have to put cellulite solution yeah. and stuff like that. But that one literally came with a software. The, and it's a, it's not reading your mind. It's just calibrating. Right, right. Um, think forward, and whatever you are doing at that moment, brain is just the 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 EG is just registering what is the change. And they're like, oh, when this change occurs, this person thinks forward. Okay, now think backwards, and something happens in the brain, that, and that, that it's, you know, they can. Is that going to render Elon Musk's Neuralink? useless if you can just no. put a hat on and it fucking you can calibrate it and tell it tell something to do things well, with your I mind neural link is ideally 100 connected you know this has a lot of the, 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 the noise to sound ratio is pretty bad with eeg device right like it's i can think forward and backwards after training for half an hour with this cube 
which I mean, okay, but I don't want that. I want to be able to tell you, you know, it's like orders paint. of magnitude more like I want capability, to for you. increased I want capability. You, say, you know, oh, I was on the beach and it was kind of like beautiful and I felt sun on my skin. And I want you to feel that, mm-hmm. all of that, you yeah, know? That makes sense. That's the neural link promise. Something that I get from you, Marco, is that you like to be on the frontier. It seems like you're, as an artist, it seems like you revel in novelty. Um, and and that, I mean, abstractions as well, I think as the initial part of this conversation went. And so someone who is often at the frontier, often at a um, looking at a blank canvas of sorts and being a fully fledged artist, could you help me understand what is art? It's a question that I've, we've been asking a couple um, creatives that have come onto the podcast. Is it is it something that can be defined in any sense? Um, yeah, I, I think it can definitely be defined. Um, and I kind of worked on that um, recently and thought about that quite a bit. Um, and here, let me just... Um, You're pulling something up? Yeah, I'm pulling something up. Is that okay? Yes, absolutely. I'm just I'm just talking it out for the people who are listening. Pull it up, Marco. Let's saint it. So, I mean, what is art? Um, obviously, th- this is one of those loaded topics. Again, people might have their own opinion about that. So, I'm trying to think of it as as a philosopher. As you know, is there a way to define art as something that is not up for dispute? You know, mm-hmm. that, that, and we define it in a way that. Uh, you know, somebody can say, well, I don't think that's how we should define art, but it's it's indisputed as one way of looking at it, right? So in a thinking of, when I think of art, um, I think that it's a label of a word, a word that we use to describe objects or processes that impact our consciousness in a manner that we desire, right? So there is this Product, like painting, sculpture, you know, uh, performance art, that when observed, when experienced, it, in a way, it impacts us. And impacts us in a way that traditionally we would think of art is that what comes out of it elevates in our mind and inspires us in some way. That doesn't mean that it has to be positive. It has, you know, doesn't have to be pleasant. Uh, art can take all different kinds of uh, experiences, but that it makes us think, that it makes us move, right? Now, when we do that, um, you know, traditionally speaking, before Neuralink, um, art, we expressed complex thoughts through words, pictures, objects, you know, things that we can experience through our senses. And in in doing so, um, we have come to have this uh, experience of, you know, is something a meaningful experience? Did I come out of something, you know, watching this theater play? Did, do I feel like I just wasted two hours? Or was that a meaningful experience where I bargained that my chip was two hours of my time to experience something? And the degree to which I have been changed is defined as what art is, right? So in, in doing that, um, you know, if I think of myself, I am a consciousness that is growing through from birth till death. In doing that, I am exploring different um, aspects of life. And I do so by putting myself out. I love to travel, for example. And travel makes me grow. But it's very unpredictable. Well, art, in many ways, is a predictable process. It's a product that has a specific impact. So it's like a package tour to Cuba, you know, or package tour to It's like, oh, you watch this, and this is the type of experience that you may have, right? So art functions as a purpose-authored message that, when consumed, gives us an improved sense of satisfaction of the life itself. Um, now, when we think of art and what is art, uh, I think that there's three ways in which we can define art. Uh, or different st- levels of stages. You know, there's one part, which is the very creation of art. And in that moment, the person engaged with something, any process, can say, I'm making art. And if that is their belief, they're making art. Who am I to argue? Oh, that's not art. 
That's their personal one person things. That's art. That's okay. That's art, right? On the next level, we have when that art is being shared, the experience of art. And then on a third level, we have when the consumption of art is finished, what is left? What is the imprint on me? And these two things are very important in defining good art, where there is, you know, we talk about pop art, popular art, right? Well, we can, you know, I, I ran an advertising agency uh, for a long time as well. And, you know, I'm capable of making things that people will find pleasing. Are those are they meaningful? Probably not. Uh, but they're really pleasing. People love them. They're like eye candy, right? They make things, people buy stuff. So a lot of, there, there's art category that is eye candy. It's incredibly fun to engage with, but you know, a year later, I'll probably not remember it much. It hasn't really had much of an impact, right? And then there's a cultural level where it's like, wait a second, I've been thinking about this art piece for a really long time. And maybe even it wasn't much of an eye candy. You know, I'm watching Space Odyssey 2001. I mean, it's cool, but it's kind of long and can be sometimes boring. Yet it had a profound impact on me for many, 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 many years afterwards. And ultimately, when we judge art of what is good versus what is bad art, I think that we ultimately judge this cultural aspect where good art or high art is art that the investment of my time and my consciousness so to experience it has been rewarded by incredible growth of me as a human being. Bad art is art that, okay, it's art, and I engaged with it, and at the end, I kind of wish I didn't. Why? Well, because I just paid the price. The entrance ticket was you know, two hours of my time. How do you, how do you quantify that? Is it just a feeling of you feel better after you view the art? You consume the art, or does it necessarily have to make you change? That was my question. Is are you saying that art is a, you know, to put it in a sentence, art is a catalyst of transformation? Absolutely, yes, okay. but not always. If it's not, then it's not then good art. Good art is a catalyst for transformation. Art. Let's let's use a high and low art. Maybe I don't know how. Like low art is in like, yes, it's super fun to be engaged right now. Mm-hmm but it hasn't been a catalyst of change whatsoever. It's just, it's like a little fidget, you know, like, oh, I'm fidget, fidget, I'm fidget. And it feels it's cocaine good. art. It's, it's Coca-Cola it's like, art. Nothing. It's nice in the moment, but there's. Yeah, it's a lot of sugar, art. but it didn't really. Brain do junk, much. junk food for the it's brain. Sugar, you know, it feels great, man. I want to eat sugar with spoon, but it's not making me feel better. It's actually making me feel worse. So would you say AI art is low art? Oh, I don't think so. I think that AI art might become some of the most profound art that we will be experiencing over the next uh, century. Is it low art now? Well, right now, most of the AI art that I have had opportunity to interact with is manifested through humans. So humans are the ones who are feeding the prompts to mid-journey or something like that, right? And going through iterations. So ultimately, there is a human um, curator so we haven't invented artificial intelligence, art created by artificial intelligence yet. No, not until we have a general AI. General AI is the AI that is capable mm-hmm. of thoughts and feelings and creativity and stuff like that. And um, when that happens, the question is, will we be even capable of understanding? You know, I, I have a dog and I make art. I don't think he gets my art because he's not you know, develop like his mind is not capable of perceiving the nuances of human. Do you think complexity. we can create artificial intelligence though? Like the dog didn't create us. Um, I actually think that we do. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, and it's going to be a process. I think the process will go through probably some type of, uh, you know, Ray Kurzweil, the American scientist and futurist mm-hmm. talks yeah. about the singularity. singularity. Yeah. And he predicts the singularity is going to happen in the mid forties, like 2045 or so. And, you know, he defines singularity at the po- as a point where the, the human and machine, the merging of a human and machine will be such that it will create super intelligence that is so far beyond anything that we can comprehend right now that we cannot predict future past 
the singularity point, which is in 20 years. That in 20 years, this consciousness created by combining organic and silicon, um, you know, brain and AI will become so much more sophisticated that, you know, the art of today will be kind of like those, you know, Lascaux cave drawings of like, oh, look at these people trying to like, you know, immortalize themselves by drawing paintings <laughs> and, and sculptures. Um, and I think that the, 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 the way that art will be experienced in the future is going to be fundamentally different. I think we could debate the um, conscious sovereignty of AI till kingdom come. And I think that fundamentally, we're never going to know if AI is an actual individual or the perfect parrot, uh, unless there is some technology to bridge the gap. Like a... Yeah. And Marco, before you answer that, I would, I almost want to have an entire podcast alone talking about technologies and where you see things going into the, mm. in the future. And I don't want to, we're nearing the end of the podcast. Well, it's so very easy to talk I'll about all this. I'll give you just about the, now about the way the technology, I think, is going in the future. I think that one of the impacts that we will have with uh, neural links and AI and, and, and VR and blockchain is that governance. We talked about anarchy, for example. You know, talk about uh, move to a complete technologically supported uh, democracy where, you know, if I vote on a blockchain, I can vote for my phone and we can vote on any single issue. I don't need my representatives anymore, right? And like the concept of a president is so archaic. It's like, okay, that makes sense. One human, because that's how kings work. Really? Like one human being is going to make all these hard decisions? That just doesn't make sense to me. Can we have like at least like a council of, well, Yoda-like characters, like a Jedi council, you know? So they're like, and the gray beards. You do it like quite on general will be basically this twelve, you know, Jedi, you know, Yoda type characters who will be AI augmented with neural links with each other, and they will record their thoughts and their decisions on blockchain, which will be open to public, and we'll be all able to follow it without intermediary trusting that we are actually hearing things as they were thought and brought to life by this enlightened 12. But I mean, for every uh, Jedi council, there's a Sith uh, disruption perhaps. And so perhaps the very technology that would allow a less filtered um, collective processing would also allow for Trojan horses of the mind and identity disruption. Yeah. And that's the fear of, of, of democracy, right? Like, the democracy is a tyranny of a majority. So if this Sith is capable somehow of, for at least a brief moment, getting 51% of people behind that idea, uh, we can declare wars, drop nuclear bombs, annihilate huge, you know, whole people, um, because, hey, I got the 51% of people. What do you want? You know? Um, so that's the danger of democracy as such. Wow, we could definitely have a lot more to know, talk about that. Our, we talked a lot about centralized and decentralized systems, and we've touched touched on blockchain voting systems quite a few times. And I would that's another topic I would like to talk to you about another time if you're open to joining us again. Um, there's a lot of a lot of different topics that we can explore here in depth, <laughs> and uh, I don't know how do you want to end it, Alec. I, well, we had one central question that we were kind of trying to build up to, um, which is that, I mean, from what you've uh, espoused in this podcast here at Marco, you've got such a depth of experience and such a breadth of experience as well. You've seen uh, the anarchism of a communist that, that opposes a communist state, and you've supported the idea of a more socialistic, universal um, system of support. You have explained how the incentive mechanisms of capitalism have allowed you personally to flourish. And there are all these points that if someone were to look at them could say, some of these are extremely contradictory, maybe even hypocritical. How do you, Marco, bridge those potential contradictions of being a Serbian artist and anarchist, um, someone who's deeply into 
spirituality, touching upon the wisdom of India, someone who is completely uh, engrossed in the American public education system, someone who has benefited and participates actively in the entrepreneurship of capitalism, someone who is, um, as opposed to being spiritual, perhaps, and ancient, at the forefront of the digital revolution, looking at all these disparate parts, how do you bridge those potential contradictions? Um, I think it's an amazing question, actually, and it speaks to me on so many different levels. And that this infinite number of levels on which they speak to me, I feel they all meet in this one spot, which is this moment from earlier in our conversation of sense of oneness with all humanity. And that once we get our mind in that sense, in that state, uh, there is nothing that is new, there's nothing that is old, there is nothing that is different than anything else. And, you know, I'm just doing whatever I think my, you know, it's not like, oh, this is my destiny, I have to do this, but it's like, hey, I'm kind of good at this. And it seems like I'm happy while I'm doing it. And people seem to appreciate the results of that labor. I'll do a little bit more of that. And to date, that activity has been kind of like being at this, um, you know, kind of at the spring well of new thoughts and ideas and emerging technologies and thinking about how, what they are, what is this internet thing? What is this blockchain thing? What is this AI thing, right? Uh, and how does it apply to what we already have? So it's like this research of the new knowledge and then entrepreneurial activity of how to leverage that knowledge to improve the human spirit and the you know, standard of living while having awareness of it, not just from the you know, profit-based way, but not pushing it away either. I'm not saying, oh, we don't, yes, we want profit. Sure, of course, I'm not saying that that's the only way that this is going to keep going, but also where do we channel that? How do we make those efforts create things that are you know, supportive of the greater good? Um, and once that cycle starts happening, there is an incredible amount of motivation behind it. And all of a sudden, I don't get tired. I don't get worn out by it because it's meaningful. And I think that that's the part that I think is list, is kind of missing in the world, that people are lacking the sense of meaningfulness, that they feel that their lives are meaningless. And um, I, I, I'm, my life is not meaningful because anything that I do, my life is meaningful because I decided that it is meaningful. And that's there's nothing else to it. My life is not any more meaningful than anybody else's. It's just that some people just acknowledge that and like, oh, wow, I have consciousness. What an amazing thing. I can feel things on my skin. How incredible. And once we start being grateful and thankful for that, I feel like it changes the way we approach the world's problems. Um, and we do that from the point of view of of love and care, you know, both for ourselves and others, because there's no difference between others and us. Did you have to go through a range of experiences to be able to discern what is meaningful and what isn't? Well, um, yes. Now, I think that meaningful is a personal decision, a personal choice. What's meaningful to me might not be meaningful to you. Um, I, you know, I think it will be hypocritical to say that Oh yeah, I don't. I don't know if that can be reached without effort, right? Like you can't be a black belt in karate without putting ten thousand hours towards it. So um, you know, I understand that my consciousness is built based on my experience, and those experiences are experiences that I did put incredible amount of effort in personal growth. Be it that I got, you know, I have a PhD. Um, I travel to these places in the world where I seek, you know, or sought uh, wisdom. And I'm not a religious person, yet I've been to Jerusalem, you know, and I, and I, I was there at the Wailing Wall. Um, you know, I, I've been to Bodh Gaya where Buddha was enlightened underneath the Bodhi. I went to Amazon to study, um, you know, sacred ways with shamans there in Amazon. Um, you know, I made those journeys. I went to Varanasi where... Uh, crema you know, cremation happens 24-7, and I sat there at the burning gods watching human flesh being transformed into fire and energy and heat, you know? Um, and all those things impact one. And 
I am the sum total of that. So yes, sure. I feel like um, that is where my journey is, but everybody has their own journey. Somebody may experience that by meditating in a cave. Somebody may experience it by dropping LSD. Somebody may experience it just by doing laundry. You know, how wonderful. Um, just certainly fucking love folding clothes. There you go. You know, I'll invite you to my house. We can make a house party because I hate folding clothes. <laughs> I don't actually like folding clothes, but I get your point. I think, um, I think any mundane activity could be made to be meaningful if there is a perhaps symbolic representation behind that act. But again, then we could go very far afield with that. Um, is like, is a, I think that's in a way misdirection. You know, uh, there's a thing that Chad, I don't want to misquote uh, the author, but um, the book is, it's a Zen book on Zen Buddhism and it's titled After Enlightenment, Laundry. Mm. You know, it's not like, Whoa! it's like, yeah, then you're back to your regular life. Mm. And at that moment, the world didn't change, but the person changed. And the folding laundry is just the same as going out and dancing. It's all just business of this life. And that if we give it our whole self, our whole mindful approach, it's literally the same. It's just that, you know, like there are some moments when I actually can actually embody that wisdom and be aware that it exists. But, you know, maybe Dalai Lama can do that in continuity. I, I, I just maybe peered behind that veil. And now I'm like, all right, uh, I have to set myself and be a credible disciplinarian to do that. Can I live that moment? Can I really fold laundry and feel that this is enlightened living? You know? Um, so as sort of um, a final takeaway here, giving you the microphone to someone who say has just graduated high school, has just graduated from university, is sort of at the first step of their travel of a thousand miles, uh, but they don't know what to do. They're unsure. What would you say to them? Um, what I would say to them is that this is the time when you can explore. This is the time when you have the most freedom and the least weight. In some years from now, you might have families, you may have careers, and all those things will limit you incredibly. Right now, you can go and couch surf. You can live in, you know, eat Roman, you know, the noodle soups every day. Go explore the world. Go visit other places. Uh, experience different cultures, different religions. See why people think differently from you. What is it that they think? And learn another language. You know, once we start realizing that other thoughts and philosophies and cultures make sense to people from that region, it really changes the way that we accept reality as is and realize that there are different ways of looking at the same thing just from a different prism. Um, and that will inform your whole life. You know, they will inform how they choose their partner in the future, how they choose their job in the future, how they decide what is meaningful to them by being able to have these data points which to use to decide what is the, my best next forward. You know, step forward. And I think this age between 20 and 30 is pretty much the age of exploration. That is what we're given. After that, society will expect us to start taking different roles and learning will not be the main thing. It will be growing something. Is it growing children, growing companies, growing, but you will be hands-on gardener. And gardener is a full-time job. Before you become a gardener, go experience the world so you know what do you want to garden and in what way? Okay, and that, that's interesting. All right, so travel, uh, be the explorer, and then become a gardener. Uh, and so perhaps someone could be start to, to be a gardener in, say, 30 to 35, that age range. What would you say to someone starting on their gardening practice? Stay true. I mean, you know, like, I think that one thing, especially if we're talking about children, you know, it's being aware of our mortality, that... You know, if there is reincarnation, this is it. There's a kid and you're downloading yourself and that kid is already genetic material and how you bring them up, you know, don't impose yourself, but it's a huge difference where that kid lives, what kind of neighborhood, what kind of friends, what kind of school, 
what do you how do you deal with that kid when they comes home you know what do they feel like because that is you know we are gods at that moment like we are creating the future this is the virtual little you know a game that we can play and that's our gift for the future there's really no other greater gift so if anything you know be mindful of that and hopefully contribute in a way that you would like other people to be contributing to the so uh go out explore the world find out what works for you then bring that back and start your garden and then when you start that garden commit to the garden yeah i mean i think that there is no way to not commit but just be true to yourself and what i mean by that it's not like a silly like oh yeah be true to yourself but be genuinely true to yourself like what do you feel what based on now these experiences that you had what do you think this child should be like you know should they how do you think that would become the greatest possible how would that entity this human little child reach its highest potential you know what can you do to help them along that path i like words it. of wisdom words of wisdom from marco anything else you want to add marco um i want to thank you guys for exploring these incredible uh incredibly difficult topics and and kind of uh, you know flowing through it with um skillful ease you know i really appreciate these conversations and i hope that uh, we get a chance to talk again me too me as well thank you marco thanks marco that's it ladies and gentlemen thanks again to marco for coming on for an extended conversation we are potentially interested in doing a mini series with people like marco polymaths with a bunch of experience which we are interested in calling the Creators of Culture series. So if you want to have Marco back on, chime in on what you'd like to talk about with him. Because guess what? If you submit a question, we might just ask him it. Furthermore, we have questions for you. So if you're listening on Spotify, scroll down. We've got a couple questions there for you. What do you think makes life most meaningful? Now, if you're not listening on Spotify, we still want to hear from you. So please email us, hit us up on Instagram, visit our website. Our email is entitledopinionpodcast at gmail.com. Our Instagram handle is entitledopinionpod. We're pretty active there. And then our website is entitledopinion.com. So we look forward to hearing from you. And until then, stay entitled. Stay opinionated. Stay true to yourself.